We'll be considering Baptist Catechism question 44 this afternoon. It's a very important one. It asks, what is the duty which God requireth of man? And the answer is this, the duty which God requireth of man is obedience to His revealed will. Uh, The scripture reading for this afternoon comes from Ecclesiastes 12.13. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. From time to time I like to take a step back from our catechism to consider where we have been and where we are going There is a structure to our catechism, and recognizing this structure can be very helpful. Now, it's not as if the compilers of our catechism placed the 114 questions into these categories for us, but if we pay careful attention to the themes and their development, categories do clearly emerge. I'd like to share my outline of the catechism with you this afternoon. I think this Broad overview will help us to better appreciate the individual questions and answers as we come to them, and especially the one that is before us today, Baptist Catechism 44. I will admit uh, that others might have a different way of outlining the catechism, and it's possible their way is better than mine, and if I find that to be the case, I'll alter my view. But as of right now, here is how I see it. Our catechism is most obviously divided into three major parts. Questions 1 through 6 make up the first part, and we may give it the heading, First Things or Foundational Truths. Here in questions 1 through 6, foundational truths are established. Here are the questions. They should sound very familiar to you. Who is the first and chiefest being? Ought everyone to believe there is a God? How may we know there is a God? What is the Word of God? May all men make use of the Holy Scriptures Question 6, what things are chiefly contained in the Holy Scriptures? These questions are addressed first because it would be impossible to say anything meaningful or sure about God, His ways with man, and what He requires of us without these foundational truths being established. Question 6 of our Catechism is very important. Not only does it wrap up the first principles section, it also introduces parts 2 and 3 when it asks, What things are chiefly contained within the Holy Scripture? That's a very important question. We have the Bible. We have the Scriptures. Uh, There's lots of things said within the Scriptures. What are they mainly about? Here's the answer. The Holy Scriptures chiefly contain what man ought to believe concerning God and what duty God requireth of man. The rest of the Catechism teaches us about these two things, what man ought to believe concerning God, and what duty God requireth of man. The second major part of the Catechism is found in questions 7-43. through Here we will find a summary of what the Scriptures teach concerning God, His nature, His works, His dealings with man. And finally, in questions 44-114, through we find the third major part, which is a summary of what the Holy Scriptures teach concerning man's duty or responsibility before God. Notice we are considering question 44 this afternoon. It asks, what is the duty which God requireth of man? And so then you should see that we are now entering into the third and final major section of the Catechism. 
I hope you agree with me that the Catechism is clearly divided into these three major parts, questions 1 through 6, 7 through 43, and 44 through 114. I would like to break the Catechism down just a little bit more for you before briefly considering question 44 this afternoon. I think this will be ultimately helpful if you will stick with me on this Christmas day. Part 1 need not be broken down any further. It stands as a single unit Here, foundational principles are established. But part two can be divided into four sections. Remember, this entire section is telling us what we ought to believe concerning God. First, in questions 7 through 15, we are told about God, His nature, decrees, creation, providence, and covenant. Second, in questions 16 through 22, We are told about man's alienation from God by his fall into sin. Now, some may object, saying, I thought this section was about God, but here you are saying uh, that we are told about man and man's fall. Well, yes, it is about man, but more specifically, it is about man in relation to God. So, this is not anthropology, a study of man on its own. This is theological anthropology. Uh, man considered in relation to God. Thirdly, in questions 23 through 31, we are told about the redemption accomplished by God through Christ. There in that section, Christ is identified as the Redeemer of God's elect. There we are told about the incarnation and the threefold offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And there we are told about His humiliation and exaltation. Finally, in questions 32 through 43, we are told about the redemption earned by Christ and how it is applied by God to His elect through the Spirit. There we are told about effectual calling, the gift of faith, and the benefits that come to all who believe in Christ in this life at death and at the resurrection. At the end of that section, we are told about what Christ has saved us from, namely eternal condemnation. We've just concluded that section together. I want you to notice two things about this second major section of our catechism, which runs from questions 7 through 43. One, it is profoundly Trinitarian. After being taught about God as Trinity in questions 7 through 9, and after being told about man's alienation from God in questions 16 through 22, then we are told about the accomplishment of our redemption by the Son of God incarnate and the application of it in time to the elect by God the Spirit. So I say that question or section 2 of our catechism is profoundly Trinitarian. The second observation I want to make about that section is that in questions 7 through 43, the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to us in a redemptive historical way. I really want you to see that. We've just concluded this section, and I want you to see that in questions 7 through 43, the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to us in a redemptive historical way. There in that section, we are told about God, creation, covenant, man's fall into sin, the accomplishment of our redemption by Christ in time, and the application of the redemption that Christ has earned to sinners in time. It's a historical presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? Answer 33 says, The Spirit applieth to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. So, we learn that this redemption that Christ earned in time is applied to us in time as the Spirit works upon us to give us the gift of faith. Everything comes to center upon Faith faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Messiah. It's a wonderful section here. It concludes with that wonderful part where we are told about the benefits that come to those who believe in this life at death and at the resurrection. This is the good news of salvation through faith in Christ presented in a historical way. Then we come to question 44, our question for this afternoon. What is the duty which God requireth of man? Again, the answer, the duty which God requireth of man is obedience to His revealed will. I want you to notice three brief things about Baptist Catechism number 44. One, this question here marks the beginning of the third major section of the Catechism. Back in question six, we were told that the Scriptures mainly teach us what man ought to believe concerning God. And we've been told all about that. And... What duty God requireth of man? So we've considered the first theme, now we are considering the second. Two, this question, question 44, is really the only reasonable question to ask after, after hearing about God, creation, covenant, man's fall into sin, and the redemption that God has so graciously accomplished for us by Christ and applied to us by the Spirit having considered the good news of Jesus Christ, having considered all that Christ has done for us, having considered all the wonderful benefits that come to those who have faith in Christ, the reasonable question to ask is, what is the duty which God requireth of man? Look at this marvelous grace that God has shown to us. Look at the marvelous gift that He has given to us. Now, what does God want from me? What is my duty before God? How should I respond to this salvation that has been freely given to me? Answer, we ought to obey God's revealed will, that is to say, His law. This reminds me of what Jesus says in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, He says. If you love me, this will be the result. You will keep my commandments. None of us does this perfectly, but this will be the desire of our heart. If we love Christ, if we love God in the heart, if we have gratitude for what God has done for us through Christ... We will desire and strive to keep the commandments of God. And listen to Jesus' words to His disciples in John 15, 9-11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, Christ says. Abide or remain in it. And then He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Those who have been redeemed by Christ and effectually called by His Spirit so that they have faith have had the love of Christ graciously set upon them. And how are they to respond to this love? They are to respond to this love with love. And what does it look like to abide in the love of Christ? Those who have been loved by Christ and who love Him will strive to keep His commandments. 
So then I hope you agree that question 44 is most appropriate. It's the right question to ask at this point in our catechism. We've been told about the gospel. We've been told about God's grace and His love being lavished upon us through Christ and by the Spirit. We have been redeemed from the curse of sin. We've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our impulse should be to ask, what does God require of us? Having been redeemed by Him, justified and adopted... I want to serve Him now, for I am grateful. What does He require? Again, the answer. The duty which God requireth of man is obedience to His revealed will. The third thing I want you to recognize about question 44 is that it does not only state the appropriate response to the redemption that Christ has graciously earned and applied to us. It also does set us up for yet another presentation of the gospel, but in another way. Namely, through the consideration of the law and the gospel. I'd like you to allow me to briefly break down this third major section of the catechism that we are now beginning to consider. And I will break it down into two major parts. Questions 44 through 114 are all about the duty that God requires of man. First, in questions 45 through 89, we are taught about God's moral law. Here we learn that God's moral law was first written on Adam's heart at creation. And here we also learn that this moral law is summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. The sum of those Ten Commandments being to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. That's Baptist Catechism 47. Here in this section, the meaning of the Ten Commandments is clearly and carefully explained. With each one of them, our catechism asks, what is this commandment? And after that it asks, what does this commandment require and what does it forbid? So here in questions 45 through 89, we find a very helpful presentation on God's moral law. Very clear teaching concerning what the Ten Commandments require of us. But at the end of this section, at the end of this section where the law is taught to us, a very important question is asked. Question 87, we'll get to it eventually, asks this, Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? Is any man able to keep these these commandments? And the answer is bad news. No mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but daily break them in thought, word, or deed. Question 88 then asks, Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? Answer, Some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. Question 89, which is the last question in this section that we have been considering today, then asks, What doth every sin deserve? And here we have more bad news. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. So this section on the law is concluded with very bad news, isn't it? The law is considered, it's first presented to us as the only reasonable response to our salvation in Jesus Christ. We ought to obey the Lord. But the law is also used in another way. It condemns us. Does anyone keep this law? No. Are all sins equally heinous? Well, no. Some are worse than others. But what does every sin deserve? 
God's wrath and curse. And so this section on the law concludes with bad news. The law is first presented to us as a light to our feet, and that is one important function of the law. It shows us how we ought to live and the way we should go. But it is also presented to us as a schoolmaster or strict disciplinarian. It magnifies our sin and proves that we are guilty and in need of a Savior. That brings us to the second part of the third section of our catechism, where the gospel is proclaimed yet again. Remember, we have already heard the gospel presented in a redemptive historical way. We've heard about man's fall into sin, the accomplishment of our redemption by Christ Jesus in time, and the application of it to us in time by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been drawn to faith. We considered that before, but here the gospel is presented yet again in another way. The law has condemned us, but then we come to questions 90 through 92, and I think these are my favorite in the whole catechism. Here is the gospel again. Question 90. What does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? Answer. To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of our redemption. Question 91. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel. Question 92. What is repentance unto life? Answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does does with grief and hatred of sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Finally, our catechism concludes with a wonderful presentation of the outward and ordinary means of grace that God uses to give His people the benefits of the redemption that Christ has earned for us. These outward and ordinary means of grace are the Word of God, questions 94 and 95, baptism, Questions 96 through 101. The Lord's Supper, questions 102 through 104. And finally, prayer. We have a wonderful explanation of the Lord's Prayer in questions 105 through 114. So I hope you can see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented twice in our catechism. First, in a redemptive historical way, and then a second time in a law gospel way. The law condemns us It makes us aware of our need for a Savior, and then Christ is held forth as the solution, as the Savior. And we are urged yet again to believe upon Him, to turn from our sins, and to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Twice our catechism presents faith in Christ alone as the way to salvation. First in question 33, and then again in question 90. So why have I taken the time to provide you with this sweeping overview of the structure and teaching of our catechism? I hope that by seeing the structure, and especially by seeing the way in which the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented not once but twice and in two different ways, you will be further motivated to use this great catechism in your own life with your family and to appreciate and support the preaching and teaching of these great doctrines within the church year after year 
and even for decades to come. As you can see, these are not a random collection of 114 questions and answers intended to merely fill your mind with cold, hard facts. It's not that. No, here instead we have a brief and beautifully warm presentation of the teaching of Holy Scripture concerning our great God, our miserable condition before Him because of sin, and the marvelous grace that He has shown to us in providing a Redeemer, Christ the Lord. This document urges the very thing that the Scriptures urge, namely reconciliation with God the Father through faith in the incarnate Son by the working of the Holy Spirit. And I say, may we be faithful to proclaim the crucified and risen Christ in the years to come. May we be found mature in Him when Christ returns or calls us home. Let's bow together for prayer. Father in Heaven, I do ask that You would help us to know the faith ourselves and to teach it to those who are under our care. I pray that the preaching ministry of this church would be faithful for decades to come. I pray for fathers and for mothers that they would be faithful to preach this gospel to their children and to teach the faith. I pray for every member of this congregation that we would love Your Word, O Lord, that we would consider it carefully and treasure the teachings in our heart. I pray that You would move us to stronger faith, O Lord, and to more sincere obedience. God, as we consider this great salvation that You have provided for us through Christ, I pray that You would move us to live a life of gratitude before You, that we would desire to live in obedience to Your revealed will, not because we could earn Your favor, but because Your favor has been freely bestowed. May we love You because You first loved us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.